All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial with Frank Graney, a News Talk original podcast. A woman in her 20s has died following an assault in County Offaly. The incident happened along the Canal Bank at Cappenker in Tullamore at around four o'clock this afternoon. Breaking news, the arrest made on suspicion of murder of Ashling Murphy, the school teacher. Joseph Puska of Linali Grove, Mukla County Offaly, appeared before a special sitting of Tullamore District Court last night. On the afternoon of the 12th of January last year, Ashley Murphy, a 23-year-old school teacher, was killed along the banks of the Grand Canal in Tullamore. Josef Pushka, a 33-year-old Slovakian man, is on trial for her murder. He has pleaded not guilty. I'm Frank Graney, Courts Correspondent for News Talk. And I'm Ashling Moore, Radio Producer. I'll be in the Central Criminal Court for every minute of the Ashley Murphy murder trial. And every evening we'll bring you a factual, accurate and balanced account of what the jury hears on any given day. And only what the jury hears. It's their job to decide on the facts of this case and they'll do so based only on the evidence presented to them at trial. And if you happen to be one of the jurors on this trial, then you've already been warned not to follow any of the media coverage. And that includes this podcast. This is All Rise, the Ashling Murphy murder trial. Welcome to episode 11. Oxy. So the trial resumed today after the long weekend. The court had other business to attend to first thing this morning. So it was a slightly later start for the jurors and they were sent home early too. But before they left, they heard from an expert in toxicology and pharmacology who was asked to assess whether any of the medicine in Josef Pushka's system would have had a bearing on the admissions he's said to have made in a Dublin hospital. And the jurors also heard from a crime scene investigator as well as a doctor who examined Mr Pushka in Tullamore Garda Station following his arrest. So Frank, a half day for the jurors today, but that's not Mm. to say the legal team's got to go home early. No, um, absolutely not. The reason the jurors were sent home early today was to allow for a legal issue to be decided in their absence. Legal issues need lawyers and judges to decide on. So legal argument was held this afternoon and legal argument is a common feature in all trials. Uh, Jurors are always told they may be asked to retire to their jury room from time to time uh, to allow it to happen. And that's what happened today. Uh, But I suppose instead of asking the jurors to a wait on uh, Mr Justice Tony Hunt instead decided to um, send them away firstly for an early lunch and he told them that they didn't have to come back afterwards. Um, he also told them today that there were just two final prosecution witnesses left in the case and that they're likely to hear from them when they return to court tomorrow afternoon. OK, so let's focus on what the jury did here today then. Professor Michael Ryan was given an extensive file, which, among other things, contained Mr Pushka's medical records in relation to his time at St James's Hospital. Now, Professor Ryan was asked to take a look at the medication given to Mr Pushka and what effect, if any, it would have had on his mood, memory and behaviour. That's right. And and before that, he gave the jury a flavour of his experience in the areas of toxicology and pharmacology. He uh, told them that he has been in UCD since 1989, where he has taught science, medical and nursing students on the effect of drugs and their side effects. 
Uh, he has done significant research in his areas of expertise. Um, he has over 100 published papers, uh, one of which was in uh, in relation to the effects of passive smoking. And that was considered by uh, the then Minister for Health ahead of the introduction of the smoking ban almost 20 years ago now. And specifically, I suppose, in relation to this case, he said that he was asked to lend his expertise as to whether there was any medication of any kind in the body of Josef Pushka that would have had a bearing on the circumstances. Um, he made um, that admission of murder we heard um, at St. James's Hospital. Um, we heard that he spoke with a number of members of the team that was investigating Ashing Murphy's murder. This was in the days after Mr. Pushka is alleged to have killed her. And the, the jury has already heard evidence that during a conversation with Detective Sergeant Brian Jennings and Sergeant Pamela Nugent on the evening of the 14th of January last year, that he said that he did it, that he was the murderer. And that later that same evening, he told another guard, uh, Detective Garda Fergus Hogan, that he had cut her in the neck. Professor Ryan was given an extensive file to assist him. Uh, that, that file included uh, the statements of Garthi, to whom Mr. Pushka is said to have made those admissions, the statements of medical staff who dealt with him at St. James's Hospital, doctors, nurses, uh, physios, um, statements from two interpreters were made available to him. Uh, so too were Mr. Pushka's medical records, uh, including whatever scans were taken to the hospital, um, records from his interviews with Garthi uh, following his arrest, which the jury have, have yet to hear about, um, Mr. Pushka's custody record and, and various other statements, including a working timeline uh, that was provided to him, um, along with the book of evidence. And I should say, actually, uh, Professor Ryan is an expert witness. And the judge has already described the difference between expert witnesses and ordinary witnesses. And when it comes to giving evidence at trial, uh, witnesses are not allowed to offer opinions. They just tell a jury what they heard, saw, did, things like that. They can't offer opinions. But expert witnesses, uh, like Professor Ryan, can give opinions to, I suppose, assist juries with their assessment of the facts, and a jury is then free to accept or reject that evidence. And as Mr Justice Hunt put it to them earlier in the trial, if it helps you, fine. If it doesn't, you can put it to one side. And it's also worth saying uh, that Professor Ryan uh, wasn't in court today to support any party to proceedings. His duty, as he said himself, was to help the court and to give the jury the benefit of his expertise. Okay, and once Professor Ryan received that extensive file, how did he then set about his task? Well, he started at the point where he felt the medical issues had started on the morning of the 13th of January last year when an ambulance was called to an apartment complex in Crumlin. Um, we now know, and the jury has already heard, that Josef Pushka was in that apartment. It was his um, father's apartment and that he was there and he was taken uh, to St. James's Hospital with apparent stab wounds. And Professor Ryan looked at what medication was administered during the time leading up to his admission to the hospital's emergency department. Uh, for example, we heard he was given some morphine for the pain and there would have been a record of how much he was given. So uh, Professor Ryan would have taken a note of that. And when making an assessment like this, he said you have to look at the half-life of a drug, which is essentially a measure of how long it stays in the body. If it's administered intravenously, then it's straight in. Uh, if it's given orally, uh, then it must be absorbed first. And he said that you have to ask yourself, What's the drug 
Uh, what are the possible effects of it? What's its half-life? And how long does the effect last? And he also said that the relationship between dosage and response is an important factor for his uh, consideration. So having looked at Mr. Pushka's hospital records, he could tell that he had keyhole surgery on his abdominal area on the evening of the 13th of uh, January last year. And um, he was admitted that day. He is accused of murdering Ashley Murphy the day before. Uh, we heard that he was given morphine for the pain, uh, but Professor Ryan said that would have definitely been out of his system by the following evening when he is said to have made uh, those admissions. He said that he assessed um, all of the medication that was administered to him before, uh, during and after that keyhole surgery. Um, And aside from the morphine, he said that he was also given fentanyl, uh, which he described as very similar to morphine in that it's highly potent and short acting. He was also given propofol, uh, a short acting anaesthetic, or a short-acting anaesthetic, I should say. Um, He described that as having a half-life of between one and a half and three hours. He said that he was also given uh, a neuromuscular blocking agent, which um, helps the surgeon by relaxing the patient's muscles. And an antibiotic to prevent infection after the surgery was also given to him. He described that as having a short half-life. And in relation to all of those um, medications and drugs, he was asked, Um, if they would have still been in Mr. Pushka's system uh, the following evening. And he said no. He said that the anaesthetic would have worn off very quickly after the surgery. He said that the nurse even noticed that Mr. Pushka was awake and that he wasn't in any great difficulty um, when he was being transferred to a recovery room uh, after the operation. He described the procedure itself as minor. Um, Again, keyhole surgery. Uh, He said the wounds were individually closed and that Mr. Pushka was observed as being comfortable and not in any distress uh, by the nurse who checked in on him at various points throughout the night. Okay, so having assessed that much, the jury heard there was only one drug that gave Professor Ryan some pause for thought. That's right, oxycodone. We heard he was given a prescription of up to 10 milligrams of oxy as required. And he said uh, oxycodone was the only one that could have affected his mood or behaviour the following day. He said they're following an operation in a hospital, which he described as a highly controlled medical environment. Uh, A patient would be monitored very closely. And he said that if they were in pain, they'd be given some sort of opioid pain medication like Oxy. He described it as being uh, similar to morphine. He said it comes from the poppy plant. And he said that while it was first developed as a synthetic drug back in 1917, it only entered clinical practice in the 1980s and 90s for post-operative use. Oxycodone is the immediate release version of the drug, he said. Uh, That's what Mr. Pushka was given. Oxycontin then is the controlled release version, uh, which works over longer periods of time. And as part of his assessment of Mr. Pushka's case, uh, Professor Ryan said that he looked at 26 different clinical trials in published medical journals for the effect and possible side effects of Oxy in terms of pain control after surgery. So not only was he drawing on his own experience, he also did some research in relation to medical literature to see if that could assist his assessment for this case. And in terms of possible side effects, he said the main issue with Oxy is that it has um, addictive properties. And he said it can also suppress the respiratory system. Um, He said vomiting, constipation and dizziness are also well-known side effects when oxy is taken in 
higher dosages. And when it comes to dosage, he said there are five milligram, 10 milligram and 20 milligram tablet sizes. And he said that Mr. Pushka was given the five milligram tablets. Again, he said, as required, he was asked if it was the case that a patient could be given up to 400 milligrams of oxycodone per day. And he said, yes, they could. But he said that that was very high. And he said that you only see side effects at very high dosages. And in in, in relation to his research, he said that below 10 milligrams, um, no effects are seen on mood or behavior, on a patient's mood or behavior. He said it's only when you go into higher dosage, you begin to see those changes or side effects. Um, We heard that Mr. Pushka also received some um, antibiotics and paracetamol. He was asked if they would have had any uh, bearing on his mood, on his behavior. And he said, no, um, they would have had no bearing because they don't act on the central nervous system. Um, he was asked the same question in relation to um, ibuprofen. And he said that was the same as paracetamol, wouldn't affect a behavior. And he said by 6 p.m., um, he couldn't have had more than 8.525 milligrams of oxy in his system. He said it was administered orally, uh, so not all of it would have been absorbed by then. So he said it could have been down to just under five milligrams, 4.95 when you take that into account. But taken at its most conservative point, he said he couldn't have had more than just over 8.5 milligrams in his system. He also referred to Uh, nurse and doctor notes throughout the day. Uh, Again, these were available to him or made available to him in this extensive file that he was given to assist him with his investigations. And he said that at a quarter past eight that morning, the morning after the surgery, uh, Mr. Pushka was described as alert. Ten minutes later, um, he was alert and orientated and had mild to moderate pain. Um, There was a nurse that noted no uh, impairment at about 10 past 11. We heard about a physio who assessed him just before three o'clock that afternoon, uh, also described him as alert and orientated. Um, We heard that he completed a transfer from the bed uh, to the chair in the ward with minimal effort. Uh, He did have some abdominal pain and he alerted the nurse and some medication was given to him at that point. But the professor said that he didn't seem to be in strong pain. He said there was no sign of any dizziness uh, or anything like that. And in conclusion, he said uh, dose of oxy close to making the admission was at the lower end of the scale, down at the very low range, he said. Um, He spoke about the studies again that found that at 10 milligrams and below, you can see no effects on a person's memory or function. Uh, No evidence supports the suggestion that the admission was related to the effects of oxy or any other drug that he was given at St. James's Hospital. He was asked if there was any evidence of um, sedation and he said no, there was no evidence of sedation from people who took care of Josef Pushkin in the hospital. Uh, They all reported him as being alert and awake. And again, he reiterated uh, that oxy was the only drug that would have been left uh, in the system the evening after the surgery, said everything else would have left Mr. Pushka's system. Professor Ryan was then cross-examined by the defence and during that questioning, he confirmed that he's not a clinical doctor, nor is he a consultant Mm -hmm. in emergency or intensive care medicine. He was also asked about two dosages in particular that were given to Mr. Pushka within a short period of time. That's right. And these were questions that were put undo, um, put to him under cross-examination by one of the defence barristers, Sirsho Doonling, um, who asked him about um, those dosages that were given again on the afternoon of, of the 14th of January. Um, but when asked about that, Professor Ryan um, said that they were very low doses. Um, he was also asked if 
He went through all of the Garda records in in the file. He described how he had received an extensive file um, ahead of coming into court. And he said that he hadn't gone through all of the Garda records, said he didn't feel it necessary to go through all of them. He said, uh, my focus was on the drugs, the dosage administered and potential side effects. The jurors also heard today from a doctor who examined Josef Pushka at Tullamore Garda Station following his arrest. This was shortly after he was discharged from St. James's Hospital on the 18th of January last year. That's right. And the jury has already heard evidence um, last week about uh, Josef Pushka's arrest. And today, um, a Dr Adnan Bajwab was asked to um, give evidence of being asked to go to Tullamore Garda Station that afternoon uh, to assess Mr Pushka's health needs. He said that he examined him at about just after half past two that afternoon. He also had his um, discharge notes from St James's Hospital. Um, he noted that Mr Pushka had superficial stab wounds on his abdomen, uh, that they were stitched um, and, and that he'd been given oral medication on discharge. Um, he described him as conscious, orientated, stable. Um, he had no active complaints and he deemed him to be fit to be interviewed and uh, safe for custody. He left the station at about 10 to 3 that afternoon. And under cross-examination, uh, Dr. Bajwa uh, confirmed, um, uh, said that he confirmed if he had any concerns in relation to Mr. Pushka's fitness to be interviewed. If he had concerns, he said that he could have delayed um, his detention by up to six hours. But again, he told the jury that he had no concerns in relation to that. The jurors, I should say, also heard from an interpreter called Tomas Kotsar, uh, who was asked to attend at Tullamore Garda Station uh, that morning. He was asked if there was much of a crowd outside the Garda Station when he arrived, and he said that there were some reporters he noticed. Uh, he said there was a heavier than usual presence outside the Garda Station that day, and he also confirmed that they were still there when he left at the main door uh, to the front. Uh, by then, he said it was dark. The fourth and final witness today was a trained crime scene investigator called Sergeant Anthony Quinn, who attended at the scene at Capon Kerr less than an hour after it's believed Ashling was murdered along the Grand Canal. He was the one who erected the screens and the forensic tents, but he also had a role to play after Mr Pushka was arrested. Yes, he took photographs of Yosef uh, Pushka uh, in custody at Tullamore Garda Station. He also took his fingerprints, uh, two sets of them. We heard the, the first set that he took um, was incomplete, so he had to take a second set. He also took a DNA sample from uh, Mr Pushka. And in relation to the photographs he took of him at Tullamore Garda Station, an album with six of the photographs uh, that he took was shown to the jury today. It was the 36th exhibit presented to them during this trial. Um, one of them showed scratches on the right hand of Mr. Pushka. And the second showed scratches to the back of his opposite hand. The third uh, showed scratches to the left hand and wrist of Mr. Pushka. The fourth was a picture of his left hand. Uh, this was, we heard, a clearer picture of scratches um, taken in the inside of, of his wrists. Um, the fifth was of his left leg. Um, they, according to the witness, showed scratch marks just um, um, above the knee down to the ankle 
And the final photograph shown to the jury in that album was of Mr. Pushka's right leg uh, scratches below the knee uh, around the lower leg area. And Michael Bowman, who is uh, Joseph Pushka's defence barrister, uh, asked this witness if he also took a photograph of Mr. Pushka's face. And he said that he did. Um, He said that he took 55 photographs in total. And one of them, um, a photograph of Yosef Pushka's face, um, he brought that up in his laptop, Mr. Bowman did, and he showed that to the witness in the witness box. Um, and he he said to him, he has green eyes in that photograph. And the witness said that they were uh, green, blue, uh, unusual color to him. Um, and Mr. Bowman followed that up by asking, but they're not brown, to which the witness replied, no. So that was all the evidence heard today. The jury were then sent off for an early lunch and told they wouldn't be needed until 12 o'clock tomorrow afternoon when they're due to hear from the prosecution's final witnesses. That's right. Uh, Mr Justice Hunt um, sent them away for an early lunch at about 10 to 1. He he told them that he wasn't sure what the food was like, but that they didn't have, have to have it if they didn't want to. But they were welcome to enjoy a lunch in the court building as they have each and every day uh, of this trial so far. But they were told they wouldn't be required after a lunch. There was a legal issue that the court needed to um, needed to decide on, as, as we spoke about a little earlier. Um, and the judge also gave them an indication, I suppose, of what's left. As it stands, um, Mr. Justice Hunt told them that there were two prosecution witnesses to be called. And after that, he said he didn't know what other evidence, uh, if any, um, uh, there would be after that. He said that he can't give them any clues um, beyond the fact that there are two prosecution witnesses, uh, relatively short, to be called on behalf of the prosecution. And before the nine men and three women of the jury filed out of the courtroom uh, today, Mr. Justice Hunt thanked them for their attention as always and again warned them not to discuss the case with anybody else. That's it for episode 11 of All Rise, the Ashling Murphy murder trial. The jury isn't needed until 12 o'clock tomorrow when they're due to hear evidence in relation to Josef Pushka's Garda interviews. I'm Frank Graney, Courts Correspondent for News Talk. I'll be in court every day and you can follow me on X at Frank Graney for updates and make sure you follow this podcast, All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial for an impartial and comprehensive account of what happens in court on any given day. All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial was hosted by Frank Graney and Ashling Moore with sound design by Lachlan Hart. Follow the podcast on Newstalk.com, on the Newstalk app, powered by Go Loud, or wherever you get your podcasts.